Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Um, There's some fascinating things um, in here that we want to go through together. And I've got a couple questions. When you came to Jesus, was it you choosing Jesus or was it Jesus choosing you? Okay, we'll answer that question. We hope. Then the next question is the kingdom of God heaven or is the kingdom of God earth? And do we have to wait to die to experience heaven or can heaven be experienced here on earth? What is the kingdom of God? Jesus always began to teach and uh, communicate something about the kingdom of God. We live in a physical world, but there's another world that's so real, we just don't, don't always get to see it, but we feel it, we experience it, and that's the spiritual world, and that's where the kingdom of God resides. But it always intersects with a physical world. And Jesus, in his teaching and his parables, and his stories would always begin to help us understand that this was a life to be lived, not just for the natural, but also for the supernatural. I've got a couple great stories to tell you today that took place this week that relate to Luke chapter 10, but I'm not going to tell you them yet. Here we go. I'm going to read a part of this scripture and then we'll kind of dig in together. Luke chapter 10. After this, the Lord, by the way, Jesus first at the end of chapter 9 says the cost of following Jesus, right? It's kind of like you pick up your cross and follow Jesus And we realize this idea of followership is really the first place of discipleship. We have to learn to know how to follow Jesus and do what he says. Chapter 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and take place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers or the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go. Can you say that word go for me? Go. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Oh, that's encouraging. (laughs) As you go, know what you're uh, about to face. You're like lambs amongst um, the wolves. I had a baby lamb once. Uh, I spent five years of my young childhood living in Oregon, and we had sheep. And I was probably, I was probably 11 years old, 12 years old. I was a big softy. I was an animal lover. But the problem with being an animal lover is when one of your animals dies, it's really hard on you. And so I had a mother sheep who had twins, and my mother sheep decided to not live after giving birth to the twins. That was hard enough. And then one of the twins decided to get rigor mortis halfway. It's alive, but its body got stiff. I don't know. There's some technical term to that, but I'm like, no, baby sheep, come back alive. I'm moving his arms. You can do this. And just get stiff, and then that little baby died. Sad. So then I had one baby left. His name was Jasper. Jasper, I love Jasper. I would put diapers on Jasper and bring Jasper into the house. (laughs) 
And uh, in the morning, she would stay in the barn at night, but in the morning, I'd have to bottle feed her, and I'd say, Jasper, and she'd come running from the barn underneath the fence, like only little lambs can do, put their head under and get under and meet me at the back door, and I'd give her a bottle. Well, one morning, I said, Jasper, no, Jasper, Jasper. So I go to the orchard, and I'm looking for Jasper, and I find Jasper, but only half of Jasper. I know, very sad. Sorry, little guys who are in the... This is a very traumatic story, very traumatic story. And so the wolves at night came to go after my little Jasper, and I was heartbroken. I love this little Jasper. I tell you that story because in many ways, it's dangerous out there, spiritually dangerous, but Jesus knows it, and he says, I'm sending you out like lambs amongst wolves, and he says, that's okay, that's okay. Then he goes on to say this, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. So that's kind of odd that he's saying, go out two by two. This is a condition of which you're going to be sent to, lambs like in the midst of wolves. Then he's saying, carry no money pack, no knapsack, no sandals. And it makes me realize, why is he telling this story? He's saying, and by the way, he's not even saying it's a story. This is not a parable. He's actually saying, go do this. I think there's a sense of urgency. I think if you carried a lot of money, you get distracted. Oh, let's go shopping uh, in this corridor over here because, you know, there's some good fabric and there's some good pottery. I know, I just came back from Mexico and I've been around some girls who like to like, oh, we can go here. I'm like, do we really? And I was a good husband, of course, and say, how much do you need? (laughs) But I was wishing I carried no money or knapsack with me, and we would have a better time. (laughs) All right. Says, whatever house you enter, stay there. Peace be on this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in that same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for their labor deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town uh, and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick, and in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. The kingdom of God has come near to you. A couple things in this one. Um, I love the idea of this idea of urgency and not getting distracted. I had a friend of mine, well, became a friend of mine. Um, His brother actually visited from India probably three, four years ago. And uh, he came to Manchester Airport and I picked him up. And all he had was a shopping bag with him when he got off the plane. And so I met him on the sidewalk and and it was cold, it was winter. And I said... um, do we want to go back inside and get your luggage? And he said, no. I said, well, did you lose your luggage? He says, no. And I'm looking, I'm assessing him, and all he has is this like little plastic shopping bag. I kind of look in it, and in it was, I'm assuming, a pair of underwear and a Bible. And literally, he says, I'm here. All the way from India, I'm here. I'm coming to your house. I'm like, this is really interesting. But I'm thinking he's taking this scripture very literally, and And I appreciated it. Well, later he realized, he goes, I don't have any winter clothes. Do you have some winter clothes? And I gave him a winter jacket and a hat and some gloves. 
uh, he was with us for a few days, and then he went to the airport again. I had to drop him off, and and so I'm I'm thinking. So I'm the house of peace, right? He's coming to visit me, and and I loved having him. By the way, when he was there, he was praying for my father-in-law, who has since passed with cancer. But it was really pivotal time. He was praying for the sick, like the scripture says. Um, but we get to the airport, and I'm going to send him back on his way um, to some warmer climate. And I'm thinking I'm going to get my my winter jacket and hats and gloves back. But I said, okay, so glad to have you here. And he starts walking off. And part of me is like, but my jacket and my gloves and my hats. And, and the Lord just said, like, he needs it more than you do. And, and so I let him go off with that. But I, I, I think that encounter for me really spoke to, to the sense of urgency that he was here. He wasn't here for a vacation, he didn't have his luggage with him. He had the important things, Bible, a change of underwear. <laughs> Those are important. And yet he was on mission, lived with purpose, not being distracted by all the pleasures of the world. And I guess my question for you is like, are we living that level of intentionality? Now, I'm not saying that you go sell everything and that you just live out of a little plastic bag. But I am saying it probably is a good sobering moment to start thinking about how much am I distracted in life? That I get weighed down by caring too much in this world when really we should be caring about the things of the kingdom of God. So interestingly, he says, this is what you should do. Heal the sick in it and uh, say to them, the kingdom of God has come uh, near to you. Then it goes on to say, whatever you enter a town and they do not receive you, Go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Then he goes on uh, talking about a few towns, woe to them, who didn't receive Jesus. And I think this is the important thing. One, God cares about towns. What town do you live in? Think about that. God cares about the residents of that town. The other thing is that God realizes that people are accountable when when the Spirit of God arrives into a place. In other words, you're the carrier of the glory of God, right? We, we, We learned about that last week. And if you share the gospel, that person is responsible and accountable to what you share. It's not your responsibility to determine whether or not they receive it or not but you, you are responsible to share the good news of Jesus Christ. But he's saying it will even be worse for Sodom than for people who have heard. And really what he's saying is Sodom maybe didn't have a, a, a strong gospel witness. Well, we know it wasn't a gospel witness because Sodom and Gomorrah was back Old Testament. Now we know Lot was saved out of there, uh, Abraham's nephew. But, but we do know that, that Jesus... When his gospel presence is, is presented, that people are now responsible for either accepting or rejecting that. So here it is. He's talking about these cities and woe to them who, who doesn't uh, repent. And by the way, he does talk about this word repent. I, I'm concerned today in the church, and I would say um, the church, because that's first and foremost where the accountability lies, that it's one thing to say, I believe in Jesus. It's another thing to say, I believe in Jesus and repent. 
Repentance is, is acknowledging where you have uh, lived your life against God selfishly and repentance saying, I am sorry, but not only sorry in words, but sorry in deed, which means you turn around and you start living a different way. Believing in Jesus is not just a, a, a theory and a head thing that you do and say, oh, I acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. That's good and that's a starting point, but your life should follow in saying, I want to be repentant. Repentant is I want to start living for you, Jesus, as the Lord of my life, not just like you're my ticket to heaven. In verse 15, it says, the one who hears, you hears me. And the one who rejects you, and the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Uh, this is so important. In the Doing What Jesus Did class, we learn how to share the gospel. And I think today, so many people are afraid to share as, as if you are going to be rejected when you share Jesus. Will you be rejected? It's a question. Will you be rejected when you share Jesus? Guess what? there are probably pretty good chances you're going to be rejected when you share Jesus. But who are they rejecting? They're rejecting Jesus. They're not rejecting you. I think sometimes we've gotten a little weak in our culture. We don't know how to have broad shoulders and we don't know how to receive a little criticism. And we shy away with sharing the gospel, which is the very thing that is, is we are entrusted with is this good news of Jesus Christ that he wants to add people into his kingdom. So here's part of the question I asked. Is the kingdom of God just waiting just till you die and go to heaven? No, the kingdom of God comes. You are the carrier of the kingdom because Jesus' spirit resides in you. The Holy Spirit resides in you. Wherever you are, you bring the kingdom with you. And remember, as Jesus prayed, on earth as it is in heaven... So he is always in this place of saying, hey, let's bring the heavenly qualities to earth. And so that's the kingdom of God. And so as we're traveling through life with a sense of purpose and urgency and mission, like the 72 he's called, we're healing people as they need to be healed. We're bringing the kingdom of God wherever we go. And people will either accept or reject that. But they're not accepting or rejecting you. They're either accepting Jesus or rejecting Jesus. So you're like lambs amongst wolves. You will be rejected. How many people want to sign up to be a Christian? <laughs> so here we go, verse 17, the return of the 72. The 72 returned with joy. By the way, can you say joy? So here's the interesting thing. They're like lambs amongst wolves. They're being rejected. They're shaking the dust of their feet from some towns that rejected it completely, and yet they came back with joy. They didn't come back with their heads hung low and shaking their head like, Jesus, we tried this thing, but we didn't do very well. No, they came back with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Jesus is saying this. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you all authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Okay. 
So you're healing people as you're going along. You're casting out demons as you're going along. You realize they're subject to you, the authority that you carry, because remember, who, who dwells inside of you is the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead resides in you. So that's the authority that you bring. We talked about that three weeks ago. But then Jesus is saying, don't rejoice. Let's not get sidetracked on the supernatural. Keep the focus on me, is what he's saying. Because, because that's, that's your assurance. I want to spend eternity with you. Um, and that's the focus needs to be. Okay, I'm just going to tell you a few stories. So this week, I get a call. Somebody saying, hey, um, they feel like they've got some demonic activity in their house. I just do not feel comfortable um, going alone to, um, to address this. And so I, I've been preparing for this uh, message, and I remember, like, okay, he sent two by two. You know, that's probably wise. You know, let's, let's send some people. So we actually, there was a group of, of three people, four people that went to this person's house. And again, I don't know what the demonic activity was initially, but the report was that there were seven demons in this house, and all seven demons were cast out, and the household found salvation. You can clap for that one. So, so this is not theory here, guys. This is not like happened in Jesus' time. This is like here and now real stuff. There is a woman now and her family who are, have peace in their home for the first time in a long time because the demons are gone. And salvation has found them. And, and here's the interesting thing. I think this, if it was just the demons are gone, let's not rejoice in that. We know that she has peace, but let's rejoice in that she's found salvation. Because that's eternal. That is eternal. Because without that, that's temporal, right? Hey, the demons go, but if without Christ, the authority in that household's no longer there. We know the demons can come back, you know, sevenfold if you're not careful. But by the way, nothing to be spooked about. We have authority in Christ Jesus to handle all this demonic activity around us. So, great story. Hey, thank you, Grace Capital Church, for responding. The, the three people that went, by the way, or have all taken the doing what Jesus did class. They know how to cast out demons. This is a good thing. <laughs> all right, so here we go. Jesus then prays this prayer. In the same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, and this is verse 21, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding revealed to them, uh, to the little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me, to Jesus, by my Father. And no one knows the Son, who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except for the Son, and if anyone, and if anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. Okay, here's, here's, what, here's that convoluted sentence. This is what it means. That we only know the Father in heaven through Jesus Christ. That is the only way that we can have a relationship uh, with, um, with our Father in heaven is through Jesus Christ. Accepting him, what he's done on the cross, and then he rose from the grave. We want to have a relationship with him. The only way that we can have a relationship with Jesus is the Father who sent Jesus to this earth for us, so we acknowledge the work of God sending Jesus Christ as that. So that's how we know uh, this account of, or this way that is written. But then it goes 
um, says the Father, okay, let me read this again. All things have been handed over to me, meaning Jesus, by my Father. So Jesus has all the authority. And no one knows the Son except the Father, or in other words, saying, unless the Father sent Jesus to the earth, nobody's going to know who the Father is or Jesus. And no one knows the Son is, no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. So my question earlier was, when you come to Jesus, is it you finding Jesus, or is it Jesus finding you? This really asks the question of predestination. Are you predestined? In other words, God chooses some and doesn't choose others. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be, um, I'm gonna share the real quick this, how it's easy to understand this. Because if you feel like God is just picking and choosing people, like some are in and some are out, you misjudge the heart of God the Father. God the Father says His heart is that none should perish, meaning His desire is that all come to the saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. But in his foreknowledge, omniscience, that he knows who's going to accept him or reject him because God sees from the beginning to the end. But it should give you a pretty good sense, a little warm and fuzzy feeling right now that God has been seeking you and has found you. But I also acknowledge the fact that we, at some point, our part is that we have to come to this, this idea and believe that Jesus truly is our Lord and Savior. So really, it's the dance and it's the marriage that we realize that God's after you through Jesus Christ to, to come and, and seek and find those. So the question is, those who are, believe in predestination of like, oh, there's only going to be some in, some out, and doesn't matter what I do, whether God's going to save them or not. And so they don't go evangelize. They don't share the good news of Jesus. Well, that's wrong because we don't know. People have to hear the gospel, the good news. And if we're not out there sharing, there's some people who will reject it. But again, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. Our job is to be like the sower casting seed. Our job is to continue to cast seed of, of the good news of Jesus Christ that he came to not only save our souls, but allowing us to start to experience heaven here and now. All right. Quickly, then we go to the story of the Good Samaritan. So this is a parable. This is not actual fact. The 72 was fact, historical account. This is a parable. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood um, up to him, um, to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Okay, he went from the head response. Now he's saying, this is how I need you to live in the kingdom of God. If you really want to be saved, it's going to change how you live. And this is what he said. Now this is a parable. Um, but he's desiring, so in his desire to justify himself, Jesus is saying, the, um, the lawyer. Was it the lawyer? 
Whoever asked the question, I can't remember right there. But whoever asked the question, seeking to, to justify himself to Jesus, who is my neighbor, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down uh, that road and he saw him and passed to the other side. And I love that Jesus uses a, a pastor. <laughs> it's like the pastor joke, right? Well, the pastor didn't pass his test. He walked on the other side of the road. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to that place, saw him passed by the other side. Levi would be a religious guy as well. But a Samaritan, a Joe Blow, regular person, as he was journeying, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Can you say compassion? That's the key right there, compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his animal, his donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him, and the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, uh, take care of him, and whoever and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. And Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, well, the one who showed mercy to him. And Jesus said to him, you go, can you say go? Go and do likewise. As you are going through life, you are going to see circumstances, situations that come up that you need to be fully engaged in what God is doing. It's not a head knowledge of like, oh, this is what I need. You check the boxes of what I should be doing. Here, Jesus is challenged us saying, when you live in the kingdom of God, following Jesus, you're going to be put to the test by not only going and proclaiming the gospel. You know, that's what we say, reaching the lost. Caring, this is the caring for the least. When you start seeing the needs of people, are you going to engage with compassion and really care for somebody the way that Jesus would care for them? Step into their situation. I told you I had two stories to share. The second story also took place this week. Uh, a woman showed up at the uh, church on Thursday night. I wasn't here, but uh, youth group was going on and, and she had, um, somebody just dropped her off took off quickly. It was like, almost like I needed to get rid of this situation. <laughs> Drop this woman off, two crates of dogs, two dogs in each of the crate. The story goes, um, she had 13 dogs living in a campground here locally. And uh, these dogs were, SBCA came in, took all of them except the four, but she could not return back to her home. And so after you know, is wise having the police be involved to find out, you know, what's going on in the situation. Um, I'm really, really proud. I'm really proud of our, our young adults group. There was a couple guys um, that stepped right in um, along with my wife and, and they listened to her story. And at the end of the day, I want to say you guys participated in that story because at the end of the day, it's, the, it's a modern day parable or modern day story of the Good Samaritan. The end result is these, these two boys, these young adults that are also helping out in youth. And there's a third one who, who sat with this woman as they're trying to figure out what the circumstance was. How are we going to find some sort of shelter for her? Ended up driving her and her dogs to a hotel. And this church put up this woman for the night to help her with that situation. So first and foremost, thank you, church, for 
being willing. That's part of your giving. That's part of your giving goes to help situations like that. But that's what Jesus is asking of us to realize that when, when heaven comes to earth, when the kingdom of God is here and now, we do act and respond differently. Now the challenge is this. We live in this world, but not of this world. And this world has a way of distracting us, of inconveniencing us. I'll tell you, Otter had a plan of what she needed to get done Thursday night, but that plan was changed. And it can feel so inconvenient. I'm sure the Levite went on the other side because I got someplace I need to go. I'm sure the the religious guy will be like, I got to do a religious service. I can't be off, you know, caring for this guy on the side of the road. But Jesus is saying, actually, if you want to live in this kingdom way, you need to see people where they're at and you need to walk into their shoes with compassion and meet a need. Jesus starts off this chapter by saying, you go two by two. In other words, a sense of urgency. Don't take an extra money with you, extra knapsack, an extra set of shoes. Sorry, girls, you can only have one pair of shoes on this journey. <laughs> and Pastor Richie too, one pair of shoes. Uh, can I tell you, can I tell you what? Can I tell you what? Richie has bins of shoes. He won't, t- he wouldn't tell you that because I think he would be embarrassed to tell you, but I get to tell on him. <laughs> I know. When I'm on sabbatical and I'm gone for two months and he's going to be preaching most of the time, he's going to be getting me back. I know it. I know it. So as you're going on this journey with Jesus, there's a sense of purpose and urgency to heal the sick, cast out demons, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're saying, well, I don't know how to do that. Again, take the doing what Jesus did um, course, I'll teach you how to do that. But for, for the most part, the spirit of God that's in you is going to compel you to do that naturally anyways. When you're spirit filled, your spirit is with working with the spirit of God is going to compel you to do those things. But you should be realizing that that's a natural way of living in the kingdom of God. And then under, understand that when you're rejected, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Uh, Jesus Christ. Your job is just to proclaim the gospel. Then lastly, Jesus goes on to say, it is the Father's will that people know Jesus, that people have an opportunity to receive to the the good news. But as we're going on this journey, make sure your spiritual eyes are open to respond to compassion to the needs around you that are going to inconvenience you. They're going to cost you something that it's going to feel a little bit unnatural because the rest of the world is like, go, go, go. And you know, you got to get back to your Netflix show and you got to get this next thing here and you got to get, you know, but would you pause just long enough to realize that the spirit of God is wanting to work with us to have the kingdom of God come near to people. In closing, I just want to remind you that that there are two worlds. There's a very natural world, but there's also a very spiritual world that is also very true and very real. 
And I believe it's a season that he's really calling us to, to say, hey, would you, would you just allow your spiritual ears and spiritual eyes and spiritual heart to enlighten and, and come alive to see that the kingdom of God wants to expand and grow and reach people who are hurting, who are desperate, and most importantly, who need a savior. And that savior's name is Jesus Christ. Would you find yourself in a couple of those stories today? Would you find yourself in a place where you'd say, at least this, at least this. Would you say, God, I'm willing. I'm willing. I think that's a starting place because if you're not saying I'm willing, that means that how does God work with somebody who's not willing? (laughs) I'm willing. And then let God develop you and put things in your path. And then secondly, would you say, God, I want my spiritual eyes to be opened and spiritual ears to be open to the people around me and let me respond to as your Holy Spirit is leading me. Many of you are already doing this, but that's the encouragement for us today. The kingdom of God wants to come here to earth and he wants us to be participants in seeing the kingdom of God grow and expand so more people will spend eternity in heaven. Yesterday, we had a funeral here for Bruce Lawler, who was one of on our safety team. And um, he passed away a few weeks ago. And something about a funeral though, that just helps you come face to face with the reality is that we are all going to pass away at some point. And what are people going to say about you at your funeral? What do you want them to say about you at their funeral? I know for me, I would want them to know and say, you know, he faithfully loved Jesus and he deeply cared about other people and he wasn't afraid to share his faith and he wasn't afraid to get a little bit dirty and messy to help people in need. He didn't put much attention to the things of this world. He put attention to the things of the the kingdom of God. I think that's what I would want people to say about me. I loved God well and loved my family well, but I I love people really well. And I cared about them. But I cared so much for them that I couldn't not share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. Welcome to Church Online. My name is Pastor Mark, and I just want to say thank you for taking the time to join us in watching our services online. Maybe you can't be at our location today and you're watching this from home or on the road. We just want to say thank you for tuning in. And maybe you can't get to a physical location at Grace Capital Church, and this becomes part of your regular routine to do church live on your computer or on your device. We want to say, Invite some friends with you. Do church together. Life is so much better together and discovering what God has for us is meant to be done in community. Gather people together and enjoy these services for weeks to come. Thank you for watching.